Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus' wonderful parables, including this one about the heavenly banquet. Uh, And we pray that it will challenge us how it's meant to challenge us and encourage us how it's meant to encourage us. And we pray that you'll help me uh, to communicate it well and clearly. In Jesus' name. Amen. Back when I was uh, much younger than I am today, uh, I cared a lot more about whether I got invited to things or not. Uh, So if someone was having a 21st birthday or someone was having a a wedding, uh, I'd really look forward to it. I'd want to be there. I'd be disappointed if I wasn't invited. But then there was just a certain point in my life, a certain age I reached, where you'd be doing something every Saturday night, and I actually quite liked it when I wasn't invited. Uh, It was sort of lost its allure. So I must admit, for a while there, I'd sort of act disappointed, but then deep down think, I am really looking forward to staying in my track pants, eating takeaway on the couch on a Saturday night. Then though, as I got older, and I never got invited, uh, the idea of going to a wedding or something like that suddenly became exciting again. And I actually sort of look forward to going to a wedding. It's sort of more of a rare treat when you spend every Saturday night on your couch in your track pants eating takeaway. Uh, But especially where it's people you know and love, where it's people from your church family, uh, you look forward to a party like that. Uh, There are certain types of people who love the idea of a wedding banquet, of a feast. There are other people who would rather stay at home. In our parable today, Jesus assumes you are not ho-hum about being invited to a wedding banquet. He assumes you would see an invite to someone's wedding as something you would never miss, a great honour, something you would look forward to. Because that was the reality of the world in the first century of Israel. They did not have 24-7 entertainment. Uh, most days, they, they certainly didn't eat meat every day, like many of us, unless you're a vegetarian, like many of us do. Uh, they didn't have fine meals, they couldn't go to a cafe, they didn't go to restaurants, that sort of thing. So even if you really didn't like the person, you would go to the wedding banquet just for the chance to go to a wedding banquet. A wedding feast was a rare moment of, of coming together, a rare moment where you got to feast, a rare moment where you got to celebrate. No one would ever turn down an invitation to a wedding feast, especially if it was for an important, wealthy person. So you have to have that cultural reality in our minds as we look at this parable of Jesus. So come with me now to the parable. And it sort of falls into two parts. Verses 1 to 10 is all about the invitation. Uh, and that's what we're going to look at first, the invitation to the wedding. So verse 1. It says, once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. Now, immediately, uh, we all know who the king is. We all know what Jesus said. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. We know the king is God. We know that the son is Jesus. We know that this banquet he's talking about is heaven that we look forward to. We know that. But for the first listeners at the temple that day, they wouldn't have put that together yet. Jesus is still that crazy guy from up in Nazareth. He's still that guy that some people think is a prophet. So they're thinking, okay, he's telling us a story about a king. For them, Jesus is getting them to think. He's saying, imagine you have been invited to someone as important as the king's son's wedding. Of course you'd go, wouldn't you? Not just because it's amazing, not just because it'd be a great party, but also because you do not refuse the king. If the king invites you, you go if you want to keep your head on your shoulders. See, this is the beauty of Jesus' parables. Every person there has already answered the question. He draws you in. Of course, I want to go to the banquet if I'm invited. But then Jesus says, well, that's not how these people 
respond to this banquet. So look at verse 3, it says he sent out his slaves, the king, sent out his slaves to summon those invited to the banquet, but they didn't want to come. That's an incredible slap in the face to the king. It's a slap in the face to the king's son. The people listening would have been looking at each other going, what, who are these fools? You know, who, who, they're saying no to the king. They're going to miss out on, on the invite. But Jesus goes on because he wants them to see that the king is incredibly gracious. And the king thinks, well, maybe they don't realise how good this party is going to be. So look at verse 4. Again, he sent out other slaves and said, tell those who are invited, look, I've prepared my dinner. My oxen and fattened cattle have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. Surely they'll come now, he's saying. Surely they come and they realise how much food there's going to be. But verse 5, it says, but they paid no attention and went away, one to his own farm, another to his business. It's not quite that they're giving lame excuses. When Jesus tells a similar parable uh, to this one in one of the other Gospels, uh, it's, their excuses are just lame. It's like, oh, no, I'm washing my hair tonight. You know, I, I, I don't want to miss my, my favourite TV show. It, here it's more, I don't value you enough to stop what I'm doing. That's what it is. It's, I don't value you enough to not work effectively, to give up some work for you. I'm not going to miss it for this. They're rude. They're, they're disrespectful. But some people, it says, are even worse. Look at verse 6. It says, And the others seized his slaves, treated them outrageously, and killed them. Just imagine that. Poor guys just turned up with an invitation to the king's son's wedding banquet. You don't just get ignored. That would be bad enough. You don't just get spat upon. You don't just get abused. You get assaulted, and some of them even get killed. Now, at this point, the parable is actually getting really silly. Jesus is doing this on purpose. The, the power, he's actually getting silly at this point because no one would ever do that to Caesar. No one would ever do that to King Herod. No one would ever do that to any ancient king. The consequences would have been horrific. But as I said, this is the beauty of parables because Jesus has drawn them in to agree with him that this would be a horribly outrageous thing to do. And you can imagine all the people muttering at this point, who are these awful and ungrateful people? And just at that point, because here's the power of the parable, some of the Jews listening would have started to work it out. Just as they're nodding and agreeing with Jesus, how horrible are these people, they would have realised, we are those people. If Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, they would have realised, then the king in this story is God. And even if they didn't work out yet that Jesus is the son of God, it's not hard to see that the slaves, the messengers of God, would be his prophets. In the Old Testament and for over a thousand years the prophets had been calling on Israel to turn back to God but often they're ignored and sometimes they're abused and even killed and now now that the invitation was getting urgent what do they do to the last and the greatest of the prophets John the Baptist they cut off his head and so they'd be wondering what is the king in Jesus' story going to do about this because they know they are the ungrateful servants they are the ungrateful subjects. And so Jesus doesn't leave them wondering. He says the king's going to do two things. And these are the main points of the parable. So come with me. The first thing the king will do is he will judge the ungrateful subjects. Look at verse 7. It says the king was enraged. So he sent out his troops, destroyed those murderers and burned down their city. And by this point, I think everyone listening knows this is not a theoretical story. Everyone knows this is not talking about a king and a wedding banquet anymore. They know he's talking about what God will do to them. 
He's talking about what God will do to Israel if they do not accept his son. He will judge them. Now, many people think Jesus is actually making a prophecy about what God did end up doing to Jerusalem after they crucified him and after he rose again. So in 70 AD, the Romans did come and wipe out Jerusalem. They came and literally burned down their city, just like Jesus said would happen here. I think Jesus is making a more general point rather than a specific prophecy at this point. He's saying, God will judge you if you reject him. God will judge you if you reject his invitation. For the Jewish people listening to Jesus at this point, he was saying, don't just assume that because you're descended from Abraham, you're going to be in the wedding banquet. Don't just assume that because you're descended from Abraham, you will have a spot in God's kingdom. Don't just assume that because you call yourself one of God's chosen people, that you will have a spot in his kingdom. If you reject the invitation, whatever your excuse, you will not be there. Instead, you'll be judged. So that's the first thing the king will do. God will judge the ungrateful subjects. But then secondly, and here is the wonderful point of this parable. Secondly, he will then find other people to invite. We often have big groups of people over to our house for meals. Many of you have been to our house for a meal at different points. And I have a tendency to over-cater rather than under-cater. I'm a great believer in do unto others as you would have them do unto you. Uh, And I don't like it when I go to someone's house for dinner and I've got to stop at McDonald's on the way home. So I don't want anyone to have to do that if they come to my house. Some time back, and I can speak freely here this morning, all the people were there. Anyway, some time back, we were having about 15 people over for dinner Uh, And we were just getting pizzas, they were coming about seven, so at six o'clock I ordered the pizzas to arrive when they came, ordered a heap of garlic bread. Uh, Victoria said, well, we'll need seven pizzas, so I ordered ten and six things of garlic bread as well. But then at about 6.30, too late to cancel the order, the phone calls started coming. Sometimes just the text messages. Sorry guys, can't make it tonight. Sorry guys, not feeling well. Now, besides deciding to preach a sermon sometime in the next month on letting your yes be yes and your no be no, uh, besides that, we were left with 10 pizzas and, as I say, six garlic breads for the four people, including Victoria and I, that were there in the end. We had a great night, I can tell you. My, my kids were eating pizza and garlic bread for a week, you know. Uh, but in the story, in the story, the king, God that is, is far more generous than me. When he got all those text messages, when he got all those phone calls, he opened the front doors, went out into the streets and said, anyone come. He says to his servants, I'm not letting this food go to waste. I'm not just going to let my kids eat too much for the next week. The intended guests have rejected me. So go out on the street corners and invite anyone who will come. Look from verse 8. Then he told his slaves, the banquet is ready, but those who are invited were not worthy. Therefore, go to where the roads exit the city and invite everyone you find to the banquet. So those slaves went out on the roads and gathered everyone they found, both evil and good. The wedding banquet was filled with guests. Go and get the outsiders, he says. And when he says that, you notice both the evil and the good. The point is, this invitation is without discrimination. It's not, these people are not worthy. Let's go find some people who are more worthy than them. It's no, let's go find people who are less worthy than them. Let's go find people, some might be more, some might be less. It's indiscriminate. It's not like he's finding people who deserve it. He's just inviting everyone to the banquet. Now, for those first Jewish listeners, who were the outsiders? 
Well, first of all, it was the other Jews they had written off as sinners, wasn't it? It's the people we've been meeting again and again in Matthew's Gospel. It's the prostitutes. It's the tax collectors. It's the sinners. The people they stood in judgment over. Jesus says, well, if you're not coming, I'll invite them. If you're not coming, I'll invite the people you despise, the people you judge, the people you hate. But even more than that, it was the Gentiles. It was the rest of the world who were not Jewish. And I imagine, unless you have Jewish heritage, that is most of us here. And I hope you see the most wonderful point Jesus is making here. Jesus, in this parable, is saying, this is why you, as in us here tonight, get to be a part of the kingdom of heaven. Because the kingdom of heaven is not a closed invite party. It's not like one of those nightclubs where you've got to have the the, the secret password, you've got to have the special invitation to get in. If God's in God's kingdom, there will be Jews because the first disciples were Jewish, not all of them rejected the invitation. But there will also be Greeks and there will be Indians and there will be Chinese and there will be Anglos and there will be everything in between. And there will be people there who everyone thought were good and everyone thought were respectable and there will be people there who everyone thought were evil and everyone thought were awful. But what they'll have in common is that they accepted God's invitation. Of course, for us now, living after the death and resurrection of Jesus, remember these people were hearing the story before Jesus had died for their sins, before he'd risen again. For us now, we know how we accept God's invitation, don't we? Entry to the party is by turning and trusting in Jesus. It's by accepting his offer of forgiveness. It's by saying, I am a sinner. I'm not worthy of a place in God's kingdom, but I trust in Jesus who died for my sins and rose again to be my Lord. So you do not earn an invite to God's kingdom. The invite is for everyone. You just accept the invitation by trusting in Jesus. Now, if we just left the parable there, that would be a wonderful message in and of itself. And Jesus actually told many stories where he did leave the parable there, if you like, where the message is everyone is invited into the kingdom of heaven, where the message is the gospel, if you like, of salvation by grace alone, the free gift of God through faith alone in Christ alone. But the parable doesn't stop there. Jesus adds a little extra bit to this story and it's in verses 11 to 14 and I've called it, not everyone gets to stay at the party. When I go to weddings these days, there is a great injustice that I see occurring. I'm speaking here to the men of our congregation uh, because this is actually a sexist injustice. Back 20 years ago, men and women all got dressed up for weddings Everyone got dressed up for weddings. Women wore a nice dress. It wasn't even. Women still went to more effort. But men at least wore a suit and tie. It's never been even or fair, but but at least everyone had a go. I go to some weddings these days and nothing has changed for women. They are dressed up to the nines. But some of the guys, they look like they're going for an afternoon at the pub. I'm sorry to rebuke you men in front of everyone here. But am I alone in seeing this change? There are a few women nodding at me, so that's good. Yeah. (laughs) I just want to say, guys, please do better. Even I get out of this for a wedding. You know, even I put on a suit and tie for a wedding. Now, even, even Reese puts trousers on, you, you, you know, like not just shorts. Now, the reason I raise that is, other than to have a dig at some of you guys and take that opportunity, the reason I raise it is if someone said that a person was not dressed appropriately for a wedding, that used to mean something. It meant 
they were in jeans and a t-shirt instead of in a suit and tie. It meant they weren't in their very best clothes because if you get dressed up for anything, it should be a wedding. And that is the point of this last part of the parable. That's the picture Jesus is drawing. Come with me to verse 11. It says, But when the king came in to view the guests, he saw a man there who was not dressed for a wedding. This boy doesn't have a jacket on. There's no tie. He's probably in his jeans with his sneakers on. So the king says to him, look at verse 12. So he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without wedding clothes? The man was speechless. The fact that he was speechless doesn't mean that he was offended by what the king said. And I'm struck by how friendly the king is given what he's about to do. Uh, but it's not, that he's, it's not like, you know, oh, I can't believe you said that to me. I'm speechless. That's, that's not what's going on here. It means actually, I have no reply. I have no justification for my failure to dress appropriately for this occasion. And so he is tossed out of the banquet. And at this point, it's like Jesus slips out of parable language and actually just speaks frankly and openly about the reality of what happens if you miss out on the kingdom of heaven. Look at verse 13. Then the king told the attendants, tie him up hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus is describing hell here. He is describing the reality of God's judgment, the reality of what life outside the kingdom of God will be for those who reject God's invitation. Sometimes I, I talk to people and they say, "Ah, oh, heaven doesn't sound that good. I don't, I, I'm not that worried about missing out on heaven. But they, they seem to think that there are three places where there's heaven, where it's just sort of boring and you, you sit on clouds, there's hell for the really bad people, and there's this other place where you just get to keep on living however you like, but with no reference to God. That place does not exist in eternity. There are two options. Jesus says that over and over again. There are two roads, there are two paths, there are two gates, there are two endpoints. His point is, you either get to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, which is wonderful, or this is what you face in verse 13. But what does it mean that the man wasn't dressed correctly for the wedding? People debate whether the clothes he should have been wearing are clothes that have been washed clean by Jesus. So the point would be this man had heard the invitation, but he hadn't actually put his trust in Jesus. Other people suggest the clothes are his own righteous acts. Like the book of Revelation talks about how, how the saints, Christians, are dressed in the, the white robes of their own righteous acts. But even those righteous acts are done because of faith in Jesus, not, not to earn salvation. So I don't think it really matters. I think the point Jesus is making is this person had not truly put their trust in Jesus and therefore had not changed how they live in response. See, it's making the point that while everyone is invited, good and evil, you don't earn your invitation. But when you accept Christ, you change. You are washed clean. You turn from your sin. You seek to live for Jesus. Yes, everyone is invited, but only those who turn and trust in Jesus, what the Bible calls repent and believe, only those are welcomed into the kingdom. That's made clear in the final verse. Look at verse 14. It says, For many are invited, but few are chosen. His point is that many, in fact, every person is invited to trust in Jesus. The doors to heaven are open to anyone. No matter what we've done, no matter who we've been, Jesus is willing to forgive us. Jesus is willing to welcome us into his kingdom. 
Everyone is invited, but not everyone will be there. Only those who turn and trust in Jesus will be a part of God's kingdom. I think he purposely uses the word chosen there. Do you notice that? I think he purposely uses that word because these Jews listening said, we are God's chosen people. Jesus is saying, no, 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 God's chosen people is anyone who accepts my invitation. So don't say you're one of God's chosen people if you don't turn and trust in Jesus. That's his point. And so what's the point for us of this parable? It's really, really simple. Be one of the few. Be one of the chosen. Make sure you are a part of God's heavenly banquet. Make sure you are a part of the kingdom of heaven. Do not be someone who heard the invitation, even hundreds of times heard the invitation, but just never got around to replying. Trust in Jesus. I want to say to you tonight, if you have never made that step of putting your trust in Jesus, come and talk to me today. Talk to someone else here. Talk to someone else who you know loves Jesus and talk to them today. Do not be left outside. I'd love to pray with you. I'd love to help you accept God's wonderful invitation. Put it on your feedback slip and and I'll give you a call and talk about it. And for those of us, most of us here, I pray, who already know Jesus and who trust in him, keep trusting him. Don't give up. Don't get distracted. Remember how wonderful it will be to be a part of God's heavenly banquet. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that the offer of being a part of your kingdom is open to everyone. We thank you that even sinners like us can accept the invitation and so find forgiveness and the hope of eternal life in Christ. And so we pray that we would realise what a wonderful blessing that is and keep trusting Jesus. And we pray for anyone here tonight who perhaps does not yet trust in Jesus. We pray that even tonight they would be turning and putting their faith in him. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.